It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. Sometimes hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. You're listening to the Noise Cancelling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. Welcome back, everyone, to the Noise Cancelling Pod. This is episode 49, and I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. Like I said, we're glad to have you back. Uh, it is a much quicker return compared to the past probably 10 episodes, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm feeling excellent. I can't remember if we've had... I feel like the last two episodes have just been singles, and yeah. we did not come back uh, shortly thereafter. So I'm feeling good about our getting back to another episode quickly. Yeah, I'm trying to think. The last time we had back-to-backs, it's it's been a while. Maybe... Maybe over a year <laughs> since we've done back to back, but I'm I'm glad to be back today. We are doing what updates on our our main projects right now? Is that the mostly point? updates? I think. Yeah, that's awesome. I know I'm excited about my update. Um, it was a little bit derailed the past week um, with a, a COVID impact to to the family, and uh, everyone's feeling fine now. But I tell you what. It was it was difficult for me to spend a lot of time tasting tea when I couldn't taste anything. Mm, yeah, and I was very concerned it was going to be long lasting. <laughs> so, uh, so, one of my family members they have lost their t- sense of taste for a long. It's been months. Yeah, yeah. My parents actually had that similar for a couple months, and I'm I'm still not sure what percentage they would rate it at. But yeah, it was it was a legitimate fear when it, it oh, first wow. happened a couple of days ago. I was like, no, I can't. I can't. I can't have this whole, this whole new focus be completely eroded by the fact that I can't taste any teas. All of your tea will be extremely strong and just, <laughs> yeah, just absolutely potent. So bitter that that I can <laughs> like actually anything. Taste I just need to feel anything in this no, taste. Exactly. Well, that's funny. So why don't you start off, Axel? I'm excited to kind of hear how how the book's going. If you're wrapping up kind of this round of sales and what are what are your plans to to go from here? Okay, so I think I last updated shortly after the actual launch. So I did pre-orders and then I was starting into the launch. So I ended the launch, which I at the time when I started it, I didn't have a specific end date in mind. Mm-hmm. I was just waiting to see kind of when interest would start to wane. So I, and I wanted to close it off. So it ended up being a two week launch. And I didn't the the purchases trickled in at the end. I didn't get a big bump when I closed it, so but that was fine. So I ended up selling seventy copies of the book. Mm-hmm. So I sold one more yesterday. So at this point, I've sold seventy copies of the book, and then it's over two thousand in revenue. That's awesome. That's huge for a first book, honestly. I um, it's probably it's it was this is. A little bit over my stretch goal, but my real goal was to sell more like ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really good. And did you do any sort of like email push or, or you know, Twitter or anything towards the end of the the sale? Yes, yeah. So I was, I 
had a couple uh, like Twitter threads at the end saying, you know, last day or last few hours. Mm. And then I also sent a one final email push. Uh, but Interesting. I, my biggest sales were actually at the end of my pre-order push. Mm-hmm. And then, then I think I had one Twitter thread shortly after my launch that got a lot of views. And so I think that was my other big mm. um, sales point. But I did not have a ton at the end of the launch. But it's two weeks, so maybe you know, maybe it was kind of a longer launch period compared to others. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I would be curious as you go forward, you know, kind of messing around with that, if if a, a smaller period will end up with bigger sales. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So my, I yeah, I'm looking at, well, part of, the, a problem I have is, and I tell people to, to tag their website links mm-hmm. with, UTM parameters so you know when people visit your site where they came from but I must not have done it very well or I didn't have something set up properly because a large majority of my traffic to my sales page I don't I am not sure where it's coming from exactly Mm. which I think it would have to be that means it's probably coming from Twitter so I think ultimately Twitter drove most of my sales traffic and then I think my website helped kind of convince people that there was mm-hmm. this wasn't just someone coming out of nowhere. But interestingly, I think Twitter ended up being my biggest source of traffic. And I would have thought that my website would have been, but I don't think that's what well, that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's kind of like what we were talking about. It's it's something that's not necessarily easy to find, right? Like it's very niche down. Um, yeah. And well, but I I have 2000 visitors per month. I got to work on my conversions on the website form because mm-hmm. they worked okay right after I the the form that said the book is coming soon had my best conversions and then when I started giving pieces of the book away for free, it's terrible. Mm, so, I'm not sure. I don't I, yeah, I I that's something that I have to figure out uh, in the long term. Uh, but my conversions from my actual landing page, which is what I usually sent people to on Twitter, was 20% of the people um, signed up for the email from my landing page. And then from my sales page, 10% of the people purchased the book. About 10%. That's, I mean, that's really good. It really is. Um, yeah, I would be curious to know figuring out how to push more traffic during those sales. Um, obviously growing an email list would be super helpful. Yeah. But again, like you said, that's not, that's not necessarily easy to do straight from organic traffic on your website. Right. Right. So, yeah. So, so yeah, the future. Well, th- so first of all, like one of the things I need to do is figure out my conversions from my website form. So I, I need to, play around with different copy on those those forms to figure out um how to get people to 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 at least download the free quick Mm -hmm. reference guide from the website so that's one thing in terms of the book in terms of just general next steps i think i'm going to release a video screen like screencast of me going through the book Mm -hmm. and so i i think that will be my next step and then I'll have 
either you can either buy the book or you can buy the video or you can buy the combo at some sort of a discount. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's where it really starts getting easier to package things together and to give little bits and pieces of freebies, whether that's a, a small bit of video. Um, and then as as a part of that, it kind of gets them into the book or vice versa. I think it just gives you a lot more options. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so one thing I've, I was, I'm reading a book called $100 Million Offers. It's by this guy named Alex Hermosi. He was in the fitness industry. He ran his own gym and then he figured out he basically figured out how to turn on his own gym around through all mm-hmm. these different steps. And then he took that gym turnaround process and started exporting that to other gyms. Mm-hmm. And then at first he was doing it all like in person by hand. Like he was the one doing the improvements or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he figured out a way to, to be able to do it remotely or give them the recipe to do it. And ultimately he's made a hundred million dollars from this process charging gyms forty thousand dollars for this two-week upgrade Mm -hmm. but he's able to do it because they on average earn an additional two hundred thousand dollars so anyway i'm reading this book where he's talking about marketing and sales and he's got this value equation that from his perspective value is the function of four different elements for different mm-hmm. variables yeah so one is the dream outcome so basically what is the outcome that the person's hoping to get to uh and then you multiply that times their perceived likelihood of success mm-hmm. and then the other elements are time delay how long it's going to take them to implement it and then just general effort and sacrifice mm. so if you can reduce the time delay or reduce the effort and sacrifice then it's the value is greater even if the outcome is the same. Right. So I think, you know, when I was thinking about the video course, in some ways it's just giving them the same exact content. Mm-hmm. So, but in terms of why it's a better value to give them the video course or even the combo of the two is that maybe that will give them less, it'll cause less effort or sacrifice or because they've got the two options, they perceive the, the likelihood of them being able to actually implement the uh, process to be greater. And so mm-hmm. even though the, the final outcome of them having this their web, their app with all these tools implemented is the same, you can increase the value to them through these other factors. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes perfect sense. You know, like lots of us are visual learners. Lots of us do better just reading or listening. You know, so I think I think that's a that's a really good point. And for a lot of people, they don't like to read and they just want something via video or via audio. Yeah, and I think in a perfect world, you think that you want to go through the effort and sacrifice, but if you take humanity as a whole, they want the easy button. And so one thing I started thinking about from your T perspective is giving them, you know, teaching them the the recipe and having them buy it themselves some people will like that mm-hmm. but then there's going to be other people who just want to be able to order the tea off your website or maybe you send them the kind of like uh, blue apron or these other places yep. like that you send them the contents and then they can mix the tea themselves but there's different ways that you can package the final product of your 
of your mixed tea in ways that some people will get greater value out of it. Like a tea subscription. I like that idea. Yeah. That would be sweet. Yeah, no, you're right. I think the the different versions will strike different audiences. And, I mean, I think that the issue with mine is, you know, figuring out exactly what that is, right? I think I think with yours, that's it's nice to kind of hit on something right out of the gate without, you know, people are enjoying the website and people are enjoying the book and you can kind of build on that. Um, I think it's harder to kind of reverse engineer that and try to, you know, strike, strike gold first. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's my update on the ebook. Oh, one other, one other note I made. So when I was doing it, when I was starting to figure out the ebook, mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out different formats. So, you know, you can do PDF, you can do EPUB, you can do Mobi. I think EPUB is Apple and Mobi is Apple or mm-hmm. Kindle. Kindle, yeah. And I read an article that said just stick with PDF because a majority of your audience is going to be happy with that. And you it's going to be way easier because, unfortunately, a lot of the tools that you use for producing the PDF or producing the, the EPUB or Mobi, the styles don't carry over. Mm-hmm. And so you pretty much have to style each book independently, yeah. which takes a ton of time to get it all looking looking correctly. Because I even changed some of the copy in my book so that pictures were on the right page, and you know I moved paragraphs around so that right. there wasn't a big gap. And so you'd have to redo that on the additional formats. So I ultimately just did it in PDF, and I had two people ask me if I would offer an EPUB format. I don't think anyone asked me Moby. And ultimately, I, I'm probably not going to do it. I I'm, I might take a look at it just to see how hard it is. But I think, mm-hmm. ultimately, I think that was a good decision. I think I probably lost very few sales, if any, and right. saved a lot of time and pain. Yeah, I mean, I doubt very many people are are that specific unless unless they do a lot of reading on a like one particular tablet, right? Like if right. you if you read just on a Kindle or you read just on like an iPad Pro that needs a specific resolution, you know, maybe you would look at that before you buy it. But I mean, I think for most people, like you might be kind of mad after you buy it, but you're not going to make that as a criteria for your purchase. Right, right. That's what I experience for the most part. Yeah. You'll have to watch out when the, the reviews start coming in. Now. We'll see, right. <laughs> I, that's why the other thing I need to think about is, do I send follow-up? E- I already sent one follow-up email saying if you have any issues, pointing them to this one resource that I have available to them, mm-hmm. and then also asking for feedback, and I've got no feedback yet. But I know there's a process for basically pointing them to provide reviews in the on the website. I just haven't figured out. I don't even know what... I need to figure out what link to even give them and then figure out how I would convince them that it's a good idea to give reviews. So, Although I've got a good sample from Alex Hormozzi from that book. He's got a little mm-hmm. mini chapter in the middle that's that like, asks you to give a review for his book so that you can help out your fellow entrepreneur. So maybe yeah. I can use something similar to encourage people to give reviews. Plus you could like save some of their their good feedback and use it as, as taglines and future marketing materials. Right. Cause I, I got a couple tweets in response to my book that I have used already on my, mm-hmm. in the copy. And then I, it would be nice to have a couple more. That'd be awesome. 
Looked All right, like so look like a real back cover of the book. <clears throat> exactly. All right, so let's hear your update on the the T blog slash website. Right. So first of all, very exciting. Um, I did get all of my tea supplies that I ordered, which I think I sent you a picture, right? Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Kate was like, I think you have enough tea for about six or eight months because it was <laughs> it was probably four pounds of just loose leaf tea. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of a wide variety of white teas and green teas and oolong, uh, a couple black teas, and then you know. I think I mentioned this last time, different peels of fruits. Okay. Um, and then ginger and turmeric. Um, it's almost like little, I can't even describe exactly what that one is, but they're almost like little rolled cubes of ginger and turmeric that have been dried. Mm, okay. Um, which have worked actually really well in a couple recipes. Uh, and then I also, along with all the tea, got a really good, almost like a tea textbook breaking down all the types of tea, all the traditions from around almost every country that drinks tea um, in this book, and then all, all the different ways to make tea. And I will say, one of my early learnings so far, I feel a little embarrassed for, for not realizing this. So white tea, green tea, black tea, and oolong tea could all potentially come from the same tea plant. Tea oh, really? Tree. Yeah. It's just a matter of how the leaf off the tea, like when the leaf is picked and how it's processed determines whether it's a white tea, a green tea, a black tea, or an oolong tea. Wow. Because the, the tea leaf changes color depending on the amount of oxidation that's been allowed before fully processing it. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, was like, I didn't know my that. My mind was like, because like, in, in my mind, I'm like, oh, these are all different types of tea plants. Right, like all these all these different types are, are just the leaf of, of these different tea plants and it's like no, like you can have that sort of tea from any specific tea tree. It's just that there's there's still different varietals that you could still get all these different kinds of tea from. Mm-hmm. So I found that very interesting and, and eye opening for, you know, kind of the the variety of tea and, you know, how many different flavors can come from, you know, a single tea farm. Yeah. Wow. So that was my first my first learning. Um, I also did have some good recipe production prior to getting COVID. Um, I, I think I, I have four solid recipes that will will all be, you know, will be some sort of blog. And that's one thing I do actually want to talk about. Um, you know, blog format. Um, and kind of the concept behind it. Um, but just continue to kind of go through the steps and what I've taken so far. So getting the tea, getting the reference material, you know, starting to kind of narrow down what the focus is of, of a blog, deciding on name. So I did come up with that, franklytease.com. I think that's a good one. It's not bad. It's not bad. I think it's it's not like amazing, but I th- I think it's it's a good working title. Um, and then, you know, trying to conceptualize or figure out where the website's going to be built and and the domain is going to going to live. So I, you know, last week we talked about um, your recommendation was WordPress at the time. 
Yes. I, I accepted that challenge and I, I did actually start building it on WordPress. And, you know, a couple hours into the process, I was like, I don't think this is going to, this is gonna, not going to work. Did not, wasn't really happy with how it looked. Wasn't really happy with the template choices that we had. And so uh, I started looking elsewhere, if I'm being honest. Okay. And what did you select? I think I'm going to end up landing on Squarespace. Okay. And I understand it's not not as maneuverable. There's some limitations, but in terms of how it looks and what I need it to function as, it, it seems like it's going to be adequate. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, well, if nothing else, this will provide a point of comparison of things that you will be able to do better in Squarespace and things that I will be able to do better on my WordPress site. Yeah, I mean, I've always heard that the SEO is a little bit better on WordPress, but um, I'm curious if it's you know just strictly blog material, if there is that much difference between the two. Yeah. Hmm. The, well, so my experience with WordPress, I, I hated it when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. I was a, before this, I was a big fan of JavaScript fr- frameworks like Gatsby, and where you, it's a lot more like a programmer would do it, and yep. so you do it a lot of stuff yourself. The downside is that there's a lot of pl- there's plugins you can use, but there's it's a lot harder to add things into your site. You have to put more effort into it than WordPress, where you just search their app store and click a button to install things. Yeah. Uh, but I, when I first saw WordPress, I was, it's like, it was too, I don't want to say gaudy, but there was just too much stuff there and I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I definitely did not like it initially, but then I ultimately just kept on going. And now I don't know if I'm a fan, but I understand why people use it. Yeah. So, but I can't point to something specific that I know of. You need this and Squarespace doesn't have that or whatever. Mm. So. I think in in a space where I feel like the visuals of this will be important to the people reading it, um, I feel like I'm much more drawn to a cleaner, <clears throat> more well designed visual product. Like the the your target audience isn't gonna really be fooled by a pretty looking blog, right. right? They're just looking for the bare bones, what a what a programmer's mind is looking for. Right. And and mine is kind of you know, this dabbling of, are you cooking? Is it, you know, are you, are you learning about tea? Is it, you know, somewhat pseudo, almost like travel, travel feeling of, you know, learning about teas from far off lands. That's that sort of thing, like aspirational reading um, of a blog. So I, I do think that the photos that I use and how the website looks are going to be more important to, to my reader than to your reader. I think that's true. So that's that's where I'm at with the website. Is the um, website deployed? It is not. I, I I just had some time to work on it the last couple of days. Um, I kind of want to have a full blog written before I even soft launch it. So I think in between this episode and our next episode, it it will be up. Franklytees.com. Um, okay. The first blog will be up and. I, my my concept is so each blog will be kind of written around a single recipe or a single idea, but the recipes will also 
live on a separate recipes page because there's the one thing. Oh my gosh, mm. have you ever looked up recipes online and you <laughs> end up on a blog that's like nine thousand words long? I'm but like, you know why that is, right? Oh, for sure. Like they're they're trying to keep you there. There's all other things. No, it's it's to. SEO. Oh, and they want to have because so many keywords. Like, a recipe that's just a recipe is not going to rank on Google, so they have to add all this intro to rank on Google so that you'll actually see the recipe. The one thing that you can do, if you, a lot of them are trying to keep you there to sell you all these pop-ups and everything, you can't even get to it. One thing I think you can do is you can just, you, you're going to need all that content before sure. you get to the recipe. I don't, I, I wonder if the, I'm curious in my mind whether you really want to do the other part of it where they can just go snag the recipes. I don't know what the downside is or what the upside, like what the trade-offs there are, but you could somehow provide a link at the beginning of the article that says straight to the recipe. Yeah. Uh, but then part of the Google calculation is how long they're on your page. So there is, there's, there's a reason that, <laughs> there, there's a reason that the recipes that you visit have all that text at the front and the recipes that don't have all that text at the front are they're there but Google's not showing them Probably to not you ranking it. yeah no I mean I, I get that I, I do get that and I think the, the blogs will be hopefully written in a way that's unique and interesting and draws people in and they want to read all the way through but I, I think you know as reference material as people want to go back and, and look at recipes you know after they've found the blog and have read the blog I think it's it's kind of a nice thing to do to have a separate separate page where you can just go through and look at look at all the recipes. Mm-hmm. So, or, that, oh, go ahead. Uh, the other thing that you could consider is offering the recipes in a little PDF recipe book as a free giveaway if they join your email list. Yeah. I, I so mean, maybe I, don't give that away on a different start, section of your site, but, I'll, but hold it back point. and do it as a as a email sign up that is a great point yeah i'll have to consider that i mean i do feel like as a public service it would be nice to have that but no you're you're absolutely right that would be that'd be good and i was as i was researching other tea blogs that was actually one of theirs was like their iced tea ebook Mm -hmm. was how they got me on their on their newsletter so okay it's it's a very valid valid point for sure so I think this is part of your plan, but I believe that you're going to need, uh, if someone is going to find a specific recipe, what are they going to search, how, what, what would they be searching in Google to get to whatever your X recipe is? It's a great question. I think, you know, keyword wise, um, I'm trying for like T blog. Like, I think that's how I want to draw people in and. So, what will be interesting to them is is reading the different recipes, right? So that will get them to your homepage. Mm-hmm. But in terms of ranking your articles, do you think your articles are going to rank? Because the reason I bring this up is so it might be the case that your individual recipes. I'm not sure. You'll have to do some research to see if there's famous recipes, if you will, for tea that you can put your spin on that people would search for on their own. But then you also will need some sort of informational articles related to, to, for example, this idea that all tea leaves, a tea plant can produce all different mm-hmm. types of tea leaves. 
But you'll need these informational articles that are not recipes, and th- perhaps those will be the articles that will link will do better from an SEO perspective. And then once you get them with the informational article, then they go find your recipes. Yeah. No, you're right. Just looking up, I hadn't really searched too much on recipes. It definitely is some pretty pretty good competition. With eating well has a lot of tea recipes. Taste at home. So yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I'll have to have some real real solid concepts of of these individual blogs and and how to actually have people find them for sure. There, there has to be one other word that you would add to this tea recipe that it's that it's I don't know if it's organic tea or I'm, I'm not sure what it would be, but I, but you you may have a hard time competing for just tea period, but or self mixed tea or something. I'm DIY. not sure what it is. Oh, maybe it's DIY. Yeah. So you're probably. I mean, I'm. You might be able to, but just tea blog. You're probably gonna have a hard time ranking for that. But if there's one other word in there that people that your audience is looking for, then that might be the thing that you ultimately rank for on with Google. Like DIY tea blog might be, that might be something that, if that's a terminology that people are using, that might be the ticket or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, d- I definitely need to get in a little bit deeper on the keyword research um, before kind of figuring out how to format my blogs a little bit more specifically. But do you want to hear a couple of the recipes so far? Let's hear it. All right, I'll start you off with with an easy one. This one's called the Melamood. It's it uses a Yinzen silver needle tea, which is it's actually it's very nice. I would say it has hints of straw, <laughs> which I don't know if that draws you in or not. It is silver needle. Is that what type? So that's like the varietal of it. Um, I think it's I think it's technically a green tea. Okay. Um, but right. the, the leaves have like a little silver on one of the sides. Got it. Um, and so this recipe is the silver needle, grapefruit peel, mint leaves, and sea salt. Mm, okay. Super basic. It's got like a nice, nice bitterness. The mint kind of balances it out, but it's very mellow for kind of any time of the day. Have you considered doing YouTube? Oh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think these things actually lend themselves better to, like, TikTok. Because um, mm. I, I don't think, yeah. like, a long... I mean, you could do a long format video of these for YouTube, but, like, it, I don't think it's... I don't think it's entertaining enough to watch, like, a 10-minute video, right, of yeah. me just making tea. Oh, man. Um, I can't believe you're going to be a TikTok star, frankly, please. <laughs> but seriously. But I mean, tea talk. I mean, I feel like tea talk has some real legs because I mean, the process of making these is so fast. Just in terms of like what the video would look like, like yeah. a thirty-second video would have your entire recipe done just like that. Hmm. So I mean, I think that sadly is probably the best medium for it. Maybe I mean, yeah. Instagram would probably work with stories, but it's not as perfectly suited as hmm. TikTok, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Hmm. All right, sorry. I, I was just as you were describing it. Yeah. Obviously, I would have pictures on your blog, but then I was thinking, yeah. 
as you were describing, I was thinking that a video would be how I would yeah. hear you describe it the best, perhaps. I'll have, to, I'll have to do a little more research on how people shoot their tea videos, too, because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't necessarily think that it lends itself great to just, like, face to the camera. It kind of needs to be, like, the tactile of the, the tea-making process. Mm, right. Um, the next one is called Morning Fire. Um, and so you start with a, this blend of green and white loose-leaf tea. Um, it's really pretty. And then there's a second. It's almost like a – it's not a tea, but it's from, from a honey bush in South Africa. Um, and has a really nice sweet flavor and then you use that turmeric and ginger that I was saying and some orange peel so it's kind of spicy fairly robust tea for the morning that has not too much caffeine because it's green and white but you know you put in enough where it's it's a solid morning cup mm-hmm. okay uh, and then I tried a post-workout iced tea that I'm, I'm calling the plain white teas. Um, and so it's just one of the white tea blends, the honey bush again, and then collagen protein mm, and some okay. maple syrup. So you, you brew it beforehand. Um, you throw in a couple extra cubes, put it in the refrigerator, and then post-workout you have this caffeinated protein shake that's ready to go for you. Have you, and you tried this already? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, and the collagen, uh, it does really well in the hot water, you know, getting dissolved and, and staying in the solution hmm. for a pretty long period of time. Is that, Are there other people that do that? This I don't idea know. That you, I have no I, idea. Yeah. Like, I've always thought the caffeinated protein drink was, was kind of the, the gold mine. And I've seen a few of them now. Like, I think... Because so many people just put caffeine in everything. Like, yeah. I think they've, they've started to become a little popular in some places, but I, I don't think I've ever seen, like, a tea protein drink that I know of. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so my last one is called The Breakfast of Champions. Um, it's the highest caffeine that I've used so far. So you, you start off with a, a bag of oolong tea, you use that green and white tea blend, um, the honey bush leaves, and then um, a little maple syrup and the collagen protein powder. Mm. And it's that one is super good, like really, really good filling, high energy way to start off the day. I'm I'm thinking. If the collagen approach is excellent, I wonder if you should really dig into that angle. Yeah, just like the, almost like the nutritional angle. Yes, yeah. Interesting. Just, I think, I'm just trying to think about what's something that someone would search for to get to your main site that's not T-Blog and that angle seems really interesting to me. If people are actually searching for it, I mean, that's another problem is <clears throat> you probably don't want to make the market for collagen tea, but if there is a market that's somewhat out there, then it may not be that hard to rank if some people are actually searching for it already. I mean, 
you would think under caffeinated protein drinks, you could you could probably slide into that category. Yeah, right. Even if you're kind of adjacent to it. Yeah. So those are my first four from you know I would say less than a week of tea making. There were some some hits and misses. Um, uh, one thing that I did want to add in my blogs is kind of a a review of each tea because I feel okay. like I feel like people often rely on other people's ratings of a recipe but i feel like to have a really honest review system of like all right this is what i actually think of this tea here's kind of the tasting characteristics and so i i kind of went through you know my tasting notes and my rating for that breakfast of champions and so i wait so did you make this you made the recipe and then you're gonna write it yourself yeah okay so i mean it's a little different I'm curious how much people will trust the rating system, but you, well, you can make people trust the rating system as long as you include cons for each of them. Yeah. So that's, yeah, you'll be able to do that. Yeah. So like this one, so the categories are bitterness, body, appearance, and an overall rating. Um, And then, like I said, tasting notes for breakfast of champions, super malty. It almost it tastes kind of like how the mash smells for making beer because it, it, mm-hmm. was, it was like very, very malty. A little bit of raisins and vanilla. Um, and then it was, it was very earthy as well. Bitterness, four out of ten. Like it was it, it was still slightly bitter but not, not overpowering in any way and then finished a little bitter. Body, eight out of ten. Appearance, Six out of ten, it kind of had a deep brown mud color, kind of like Mississippi River color, which mm-hmm. I thought was actually kind of cool. Like it, it made it seem more substantial as a cup of tea. And overall, I rated it nine out of ten. Mm, okay. I mean, I think I think with some tweaks, it could it could be even better. I think maybe a little bit of salt, or maybe even like a half teaspoon of butter, um, mm, would really yeah. kind of round it out as a as a breakfast food. Um, but but yeah, I do think just kind of having that. I think it's helpful because it it gives the people that are reading it they'll they have their likes or they'll be able to tell if this is something they want to try based on the the rating system that you provide. Yeah, and maybe long term that'll be a con. Like if I'm if I'm selling these different blends and you give people too much information, they kind of start overthinking it that that they may not like it, even though it's mm. really good. But I, I just think for the most part, at least for my curiosity, I, I want to know more about a recipe before before I kind of jump into it. Because there's, I mean, I remember, again, this is like a step into my mind. I remember like there was a six-month period where I tried probably 20 or 25 different pancake recipes. Mm-hmm. And it was like impossible to really, I mean, like you, you know what the different, you know, powder does what cornstarch will do what the different ratios are but it's it's kind of impossible when everything is like five star 4.8 stars to really have any reference point for how good it's going to be right i i think you know other than just like crispy or you know what i mean like like very generic terms to describe what you're making i think it's really helpful to have something that's much less just kind of subjective fluff and, and really giving some information to the reader. Yeah. Cool. 
So that's that's my update. I'm I'm hopeful now that I can taste things again that I can I can jump into some other things. Um, I think I'm going to try a couple different like tea mocktails this weekend. Um, I actually just got a new new scotch um, that's very smoky, so I'm not sure if I can like balance it out with tea. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a try this weekend to see if I can come up with an actual cocktail mm. using tea to to make it you know like this a tea infused scotch recipe so yeah all right uh well i have one other suggestion so as soon as you launch your site you should be collecting emails for your email list yeah and then all you have to do is pick out a couple of key interesting points from your from each of your articles that you publish which i'm guessing is going to be either once a week or every other week yeah and then you send those emails out and then the other thing that I have is, so when I first started my site, I created what I would call a brand Twitter mm-hmm. account. Yep. And I discovered that that's good for just sending out the the new article, but you don't get very much engagement out of it because people want to feel like they're talking to a person. Yeah. And so I would have a separate individual account that is owner of frankly tees or mm. whatever from frankly tees that's an actual person and i've discovered that you get way more engagement when you have a, an actual person as the from from my personal twitter it's not even my personal it's my twitter account sure. that i use um as a person versus as a brand yeah no i mean that that totally makes sense and and i discovered that on my own site and then i recently saw someone tweet about the fact that tesla has 10 million followers and elon has 40 million followers so that was their point that mm-hmm. that that it, personal brand at least in social media is better than uh the company brand or yeah yeah i mean people want some sort of connection and not just just talking to a, a random intern or whomever is running running the twitter feed right i think that's how people think about it so even if it's just frank it frankly or whatever the i would just have a separate individual account that that you can engage with people on about your tees whether it's twitter or whatever um, medium that you ultimately choose I, i probably would not have one on like every single social media platform but i would pick one or two and make sure you have some sort of presence because you can Tweet little tips like you just had this tip about the tea leaves don't come from multiple trees. Like that's a sweet. That'd be a great uh, tweet that could go viral. Mm-hmm. Or TikTok. TikTok. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and then the last thing is make sure you're submitting your your recipes to the tea newsletters mm. because they're looking for content. And so if you just give them the content, then a lot of time, well, they'll email it out, so that will drive traffic. But then also, a lot of times, they'll publish their newsletters on their site as well. Mm-hmm. And so then you'll start accumulating links, uh, backlinks to your articles from them publishing their weekly newsletter. That'd be awesome. And also tea forums. That's a great call. I hadn't even I hadn't even thought about the tea forums. So have have your. They probably have rules on how you submit blog posts, but figure out what the rules are and then just part of your after you publish you submit it to the to the newsletters and then you post a post on the t-form and 
I just end up writing the copy of whatever I want to put once and then I just copy and paste it pretty much everywhere. Maybe adjust it slightly. Nice. Those are good, really good tips. I'm excited for next time to come back with one or two blogs, somewhat of a formed website for your feedback. And yeah. uh, a bunch more recipes that we can we can kind of walk through for next time. Oh, I look forward to this. And then maybe I'll have a, a more of a plan for what I'm doing next on the on my ebook front. So I'm awesome. taking like a little bit of a break, but I I think I would be foolish not to do a video, do do a screencast series. I think it's not going to necessarily take that long, and I think I would probably learn. It would help me learn a lot because there'd be some more interesting things from a from a copy perspective, and then also from a sales perspective in terms of having two different pieces of the product to offer. So I think I would. It would be worth learning just to go through and do it. For sure. And I think finding out like where, like what gaps you would want to fill in in a, in a video or a course versus what's in the book, because I'm sure it wasn't an exhaustive study for, for what is in your book. And, and with, you know, just having a more conversational class, like I think that gives you some additional space to, to give context and give, give some additional background. Uh, I agree. That's a great point. I didn't think about the additional context you would get for for me personally, I generally speaking prefer a book, but I can definitely see where you get you get some additional context out of a video that you otherwise wouldn't receive. So, yeah, I think yeah. especially something like project based, you you can give so many more examples and, and stories with better oh, right. depth than what you could actually squeeze into a book. So, I mean, I think I think there's some great opportunities for that. Yeah, nice, cool. Well, with that, I'm going to sign off for episode 49. We got the big 5-0 next time. I'm, I'm kind of wow. excited about That's, that. I have a smile on my face. It's <laughs> kind of incredible that we're almost going to get there. I didn't know we were going to make it. There's been many times when I thought we wouldn't. So we'll have to congratulate ourselves on hopefully it will we'll be in a couple weeks. Yep, agreed. So with that, I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. So the lesson here is go out and give something a shot. Our, our first websites might ultimately be failures, but we're going to learn a lot in the process. So take the jump, give it a shot, and have some learning for yourself. So. Love that.